We will be entering into Zechariah chapter 4, and as I said when we started out this book, and as we entered into the studying of this wonderful book, it's a bit like a roller coaster, up and down, twists and turns, and some of the roller coasters that I like a lot are the ones that do flips, and you go upside down, and then you go into like a dark tunnel, and you don't know where you're going, and all those kind of things. And Zechariah 4 feels a bit like that dark tunnel, like we're not just sure what in the wide world is happening. Which way is it going to turn, and how are we going to get out of this thing, and what does it mean, and all these kind of crazy things. So if you're ready for a twist and a turn, please rise as we read God's Word from Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel who talked with me came again and, and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and another on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, you have said to us that your word is alive and it's active and is sharper than any double-edged sword. You've told us that your word pierces into our souls, into our joints, into our marrow. You've said Lots of things like flowers and grass will wither and die, but your word stands forever and firm and true in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that you would send your spirit to do just that, to pierce our hearts, our souls, to go into our joints, to go into our marrow, to go into our emotions and our lives, to show us your truth, to reveal yourself to us here this morning. So Holy Spirit, take these words Carry them to the people gathered here this morning. Show them yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I used to watch a reality television show. I used to watch quite a few of them, actually. But one that I found myself attracted to and watching a little bit was one on the History Channel, and it was called Alone. Right? This is so fascinating because... Here are these people that are thrown into the wilderness. The producers from the History Channel would take wilderness survival people. Generally, they were pretty adept at surviving in the wilderness. They wouldn't just throw guys like me out into the wilderness and say, try to survive on your own. No, they actually would vet the situation, 
fairly well. But what they would do is that they would, they would teach them how to use cameras and video recording equipment, and then they would drop them in areas of the Alaskan wilderness and say, I'm going to give you a camera and I want you to document your time alone in the Alaska wilderness. Here's the rules to the game, to the show. Last 100 days in the Alaskan wilderness and you win a million dollars. Pretty easy, right? 100 days, a million bucks. Sounds like a great time. Not so much. You would think that that would be an easy task, but in the seven, show, seven seasons so far, only one person has ever lasted the 100 days. And you may ask yourself, why would people drop out? Some would drop out because they were hungry and they weren't able to gather food. Some would drop out because the water resources weren't healthy and they got sick. Some would drop out because they just got sick on other things or they got injured. But by far, the reason that most drop out is because they can't stand being alone. Day after day, they had no interaction with other people. They were isolated in this wilderness and they couldn't do it. They simply could not survive without connection with their family, with those they loved, or with anyone for that matter. They couldn't last a hundred days, even for a million dollars, because they were alone. This then would haunt them. And they would be mortified in the fact that that was what stopped them. They didn't think that was possible. They, they could survive in the wilderness, but they never prepared themselves for the reality of being alone. And I would say it haunts many of us as well. Even as we lie in our warm beds, in our warm houses with food in the pantry, it's something that haunts us even when we have people all around us. This feeling of being alone being isolated. Maybe not in the same sense as if we were in the Alaskan wilderness, but many of us I know in this room right here and now feel very much alone. Who's in my corner? Who's standing with me? Who do I turn to? Who can I trust? What does the future hold for me? You see, these are the fears of many of us even now. And maybe you're not experiencing that right here, right now, in this moment, but I know that you have at some point in your life. And if you haven't even at some point in your life in the past, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but at some point in life you will feel that. This sense of isolation, does anyone care about me? Is there anyone, to quote an old 70s band, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody out there who knows my story, who knows my pain, who knows my hurt? And then we come to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. And it seems as even if the word of the Lord doesn't even speak to me. I don't get it. I don't pretend to get it. I don't understand. Even the Lord's word cannot answer the most basic questions for me. What does Zechariah 4 have to say about my life here today, now? It doesn't make any sense. What does it say about me? It seems like another one of these strange Old Testament stories and only fuels the intimidation for us of the Old Testament, doesn't it? Why should I read this story? Who cares? I don't get it. This strange, odd vision of 
lamps and lips and limbs. I still feel alone, isolated. Let me encourage, whether you're feeling that way right now at this moment or not, let me encourage you this morning that Zechariah 4 speaks right smack in the middle of that. Right smack into that place in your life today. It speaks into this very fear of being alone or isolated, this reality for many of us. Let's dive into this strange vision, this strange, wonderful world of Zechariah chapter 4. As we open our eyes, as Zechariah opens up his eyes to this wonder of this strange chapter, I want to ask you the same question that the angel asked Zechariah. What do you see? What do you see? What do you see as you awaken yourself to the reading of God's word? What stands out to you here? There are many a number of things that stand out to me. First, there is an angel. That's enough, right? Even if we just had an angel, that's enough. Then there's this lampstand with a bowl on top of it with seven lamps and seven lips. Not the kind of seven, the lips that we're thinking of, the lips of like channels or, or things that are coming off of it. And then there are two olive trees on each side of the lampstand. What do you see? Or maybe what do you see in this chapter that rises off the page? It's not so much the oddity of the image that stands out to me of lamps and trees and very angels. It's not even the strangest of the conversation that Zechariah is having with an angel. What stands out to me is that the angel says to Zechariah in verse 5, or 6, excuse me, there is a reason that verse 6 is well known. We all know these words. It's well known because it speaks truth to us. It, it, it comforts us. It challenges us. It encourages us because it speaks directly into the character of God and our need for God. It speaks directly into the nature of our humanity, doesn't it? What does it say? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Even over and above this crazy, strange image, it's those words that fly off the page and get wings for me. Not by might, not by power, but, my, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But notice with me who these words are initially directed towards. Are they given to Zechariah? Are they given to the people? No, he says that these are the words that are spoken to Zerubbabel. Okay, time out. Time out for just a second. We've never heard of Zerubbabel to this point. Why is Zerubbabel coming up at this moment in time? And who is this cat? Who is Zerubbabel? I don't know who he is. Is this another one of those big, long names in the Old Testament? Well, I have an answer for you. Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah. Let's just remember now that the people have returned from captivity out of Babylon. They're coming back to Jerusalem. The city is in shambles. It's in ruins. The wall has been broken. The temple destroyed. There's no army. There's no king. There's no nothing. They have nothing. But Zerubbabel has been tasked to be the governor, and his task is to rebuild the city, rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple. Zerubbabel is an important player in the lives of the people of Israel, and they would certainly know who Zerubbabel is, just as we know President Biden is the President of the United States. They know Zerubbabel as their governor. It's just common knowledge. And the angel says to him, Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, not by might, not by power, 
but by my spirit, Zerubbabel. All of your organizational skills, all of your leadership skills, everything that you have, the Lord will accomplish this task. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The Lord says these words, and then he says one more thing. I'm going to make a mountain a plain. What does that mean? There's opposition. Not everybody wanted everything rebuilt right away, especially the temple. That opposition will be melted. And what a comfort that must have been to Zerubbabel. What a comfort that must have been to Zechariah. What a comfort it must have been for the people to hear that the Lord goes before Zerubbabel. The Lord goes before the people and he will accomplish his promise to his people. These verses put into perspective the broader picture of our lives. What a comfort it is for us too, right? When we're bogged down. When the rubble of our lives is causing us to trip and fall. When we're alone. When we're frightened. When we're in the weeds of isolation. In the weeds of fear and sin and misery. How easy it is to become discouraged. How easy it is to be wrapped up and choked out by those weeds of discouragement and isolation, fear, anxiety. But then listen and hear. Listen and hear the sweet whispers of the Lord that he says to Zerubbabel. It's not by your strength. It's not by your power. It's not by who you are or what you think you are. It's not by what others think you are or who you are. Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. It's the strength of the Lord that will accomplish the will of the Lord. This then, these words in verse 6 are the very backbone of this vision. The very structure upon which this vision is built. The strength of the Lord is the structure behind all of that. But that's so easy for guys like me to stand up here as a preacher and say, it's the strength of the Lord that gets you through, right? Or it's easy to say from a Sunday school classroom or even to read in a book. It's so easy to say, yes, I know it's the strength of the Lord. But let me ask you to join with me in slowing down for just a few moments here this morning and to see just what the strength of the Lord looks like for us to see how it is that he fulfills his promises to us and what the Lord means to communicate to Zechariah and to the people of Israel and to us and to see how that may have a bearing on our lives here today. So as we look at these verses in Zechariah chapter 4, I want to really pare it down. I want to really look at the first seven verses of this and that's really the, the image, the division that he sees as we look at this broad picture, it's a bit like a panorama photograph where we get this snapshot of something wonderful. So what is it that Zechariah sees? What is it that you see? And I'll ask the guys to put the graphic up on the screen in front of us, if we can. Maybe not. What do we see? Well, whether the graphic comes up. What we see is Zechariah chapter 4. We see two olive trees, right? We see one on the left and one on the right. And in the middle, there is this golden lampstand. And in the middle of that lampstand is a bull. And inside of that bull, here we go, right? 
Now, it, may, it might be a little bit washed out, and this is, okay, let's just, I understand this is very elementary, and it's not the best made graphic that you'll see in the history of graphics, but you get the idea, right? So what you have is an olive tree on either side, and I couldn't find a circular menorah graphic, so you just have what you have there, and I put a bowl in the middle of it with two black squiggly lines. I get it, but it gets us the picture, right? This is a bit of what Zechariah is seeing. Essentially, what you have is what we call the menorah, this candelabra. And on either side, there's some olive trees. And in the middle is a bowl filled with oil. And there are channels that are coming from the olive trees into the bowl. Now, I understand there's a whole lot wrong with this graphic, but there's a whole lot right with what Zechariah is seeing. Something so abstract, something so bizarre, Yet here is something that we can see with our own eyes. And we can begin to see the picture. The picture of what this is all about. Why is Zechariah shown this image? And we're just going to leave that up there and you can pay attention to... We're just going to leave that up there because it's so much this vision, right? That this whole chapter is based upon what this is here for you. But why this image? Why at this time, here and now? Again, let's be reminded of what's happening. The people are back into Jerusalem. They're back from captivity. They returned, and now they're coming into the rubble of the city and the rubble of their lives. The person charged with this task of rebuilding this city is again Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, an important figure in this story. But let's set Zerubbabel aside again for just a moment and talk about the elements of this vision. Although these are odd and strange and not familiar to to us, maybe we know what an olive tree is, we know what a bull is, we know what a menorah is, but for us, they really don't have a, a huge impact for us. But for Zechariah and Zerubbabel and the people of Israel, these figures, these symbols, these objects played an important part in their daily lives. They, they got it. They understand what was happening here. So in the middle, we have this lampstand, an item that we recognize as the menorah, a lampstand with seven lamps on it or candles. These lamps are more of a circle in shape than the straight line that I have before us. But they were accustomed to seeing this. In the middle of these candles was this bowl, which was supported by the lampstand and the arms of the candle. The bowl was filled and supplied with oil and supplied by the oil of the trees. And we could spend a whole lot of time talking about each and every element And there's a great amount of detail that we could spend here that could be discovered. But for this time, I want to to take a broader picture, a broader approach to the elements. The lampstand, the candles, and the bowl are familiar to the people and the prophet. Why? Because they're in the temple. Every day, these things were in the temple. So when they would go to the temple to pray, they would see a menorah. They would see the bowl. And olive trees were all over the country. They were very common, like our pine trees or our, uh, or our oak trees. They would see these things, and they were just common everyday existence for them. But here's the problem. Where they normally saw these things, where they normally saw the candle and the bull, wasn't there. There was no temple. It didn't exist, for it had been destroyed 
And yet here, the Lord is showing Zechariah the things that are supposed to be in the temple. But they're not even in the temple right now as he's been given this vision. They're outside of the temple because there is no temple. The temple is in ruin. But Zechariah, when asked about them, he says, I don't know what they are. Is he actually saying, I don't know what a bowl is? I don't know what a candle is? I don't know what a lampstand is? No, he's not saying that he doesn't recognize the items for what they are. He's saying, I don't know why you're showing these things to me. He's wondering what's happening. He's wondering why he's being shown these items now. He doesn't get, he doesn't understand the straightforward answer that we would hope or expect. The angel says something different to him, doesn't he? He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about mountains and plains. So what's happening? Again, going back to the mountains, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I think you'll, you'll see where I'm headed. The mountain is widely considered to be the opposition that Zerubbabel is facing from the people. For we know from other prophets and other books of the Bible that the Lord was upset with the people for they were more um, intent on building their own lives, on rebuilding their houses, on rebuilding their companies, on rebuilding their comforts, their securities, rather than building the house of the Lord. And so there was a group of people, a mountain of people, saying that that's not the best way to use our resources, Zerubbabel. We need our homes built. We need our lives rebuilt. We need our comforts rebuilt, our securities rebuilt. Forget about the temple, Zerubbabel. I need a house to live in. I need food. And the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel, I'm going to make that opposition a plane. I'm going to take away that opposition for you. I'm going to wipe it away. And so the opposition is gone. The Lord removes that, not by Zerubbabel's power or by his strength, but through the work of the Lord. And then the Lord removes the opposition, and we still have this lamp, this bowl, these trees, and there's still confusion. It looks like Motel 6, right? We could throw Motel 6 up there right now and accomplish the same thing. So hang in there with me for just a moment. You're saying, what does Zechariah have to do with Motel 6? Some of you may have no idea even what I'm talking about. For those of you who are a little bit older, there was a, uh, an advertising campaign that was performed by Motel 6 to rejuvenate this struggling hotel chain. And the guy tasked with um, creating this was just ad-libbing as they were recording this message. And at the very end of it, he just said, and we'll keep the light on for you. We'll keep the light on for you. Meaning what? And I've used this in our, in, when we were in the Sunday school class. I've used this illustration, but I don't think I've used it in here. But what do they mean by that? I think we probably know what that means. But when someone says, come on, I'll keep the light on for you, what is that saying to you. It doesn't matter the time. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't even matter that you got here, but just know that when you arrive, you are welcome. That when you arrive after a long day of traveling, you've been driving in your car for six, eight, 10, 12 hours, you can pull into a Motel 6 and we'll keep the light on for you, meaning we're expecting you. We're excited to have you. And oh yes, by the way, we're home, ready to invite you in and to accept you, to give you a bed, to give you some food, to give you a cup of water, we'll keep the light on for you. 
There's somebody there in Motel 6 ready and waiting. Same thing that if you were to have a loved one travel a long distance and it comes, they come in late at night and you say, I'll leave the front light on for you. Whatever time. It doesn't matter. Come on in. The light is on. Someone's home. This is what's happening in Zechariah chapter 4. The light is on. Someone's home. Doesn't matter the time. Doesn't matter the place. But to show in the temple that the Lord was present, the candles were lit, the incense burned, and there was food on the table. To show in real and tangible ways the presence of the Lord. You see, the strength of the Lord here in Zechariah 4 is the very presence of the Lord, that He is home and He's ready to take you in. And so, what this lampstand and candles and bowl of oil mean is that the Lord is near. He has not left. Even when they were in captivity, and even now as they return back to the city, He is home, ready to take us in, ready to take them in. And oh yeah, by the way, Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, the temple will be rebuilt. And you will be shown that indeed He is home, and He will accomplish His mission alone. Zerubbabel needed encouragement because in the middle of opposition, he was alone. Zechariah needed encouragement as a prophet to the people. As we continue in Zechariah, we'll see his sense of being isolated and alone. The people needed encouragement as they were exposed And as they were weakened, how would they survive? How would they get through tomorrow? How would they flourish? This is the very reality of the harsh and raw emotion of what was going on in Zerubbabel, Zechariah, and the people of Israel alone. Who do we turn to? Who do I trust? And the Lord shows Zechariah this vision and he says, I'll keep the light on for you. I'm here. My spirit will do this for you. And we know this emotion well too, don't we? As I stated at the outside, the harsh truth, outset, the harsh truth is that we all at some point, perhaps even here now this morning, know the isolation of being human. We know the feeling of opposition. We know the feeling of hurts and pains we know the harsh reality of everyday life. We know the brokenness of sin and misery and how they impact us. So what does Zechariah see? He sees a promise. A promise made by the Lord which shows His strength through His presence. The kind of strength that knows no opposition. The kind of strength that stops at nothing to secure His people to Himself What a wondrous picture of encouragement and strength is the presence of the Lord and is given to us as we are anxious, as we are fearful, as we are alone, wondering about tomorrow, wondering about what it's going to look like for our kids, our grandkids. What a wonderful picture of encouragement to us.
What a wonderful picture of God's strength. What a wonderful picture of His faithfulness to Zechariah, to Zerubbabel, to the people of Israel, to the people of Redeemer Arlington. In a world where everything is changing, so quickly and without warning, the things that we thought were secure are not so secure. The comforts that we hold on to slip through our fingers and turn to dust. I know from my own experience and from conversations with you and others that it sure seems like the world is unknown to us. Anxiety is palpable. Fear and doubt and loneliness are real. So may I plead with you this morning to cast your eyes on a vision. To cast your eyes to see what Zechariah saw. That's not that the Lord is away from you or far off or in the distance, but rather He is in the midst of us. He's not going to let His people wither and die, but rather He will support them. He will encourage them and He will be near to them. You see, because this is how He provides for His people and this is what the olive trees and the bull is communicating. How are these candles being burned? They need oil to burn. And the bull is providing the oil for the candles to burn. And the olive trees are providing the oil for the bull for the candles. So who are the olive trees? What are the, what's the significance of the olive trees? We can go down to the very end. He says, these are the anointed of the Lord. Well, who is that? Now, there, I must admit to you that scholars have all kinds of opinions about what that means and who the anointed of the Lord are. I'm in the camp that it would be the anointed of the Lord that who, who they are in this chapter. We don't have to go too far and say the anointed of the Lord is Zerubbabel and Zechariah, a prophet and a priest. And the Lord is establishing the priesthood and the prophets to be in the temple and to supply his people with the provisions that they need to flourish and to show them that the Lord is faithful and good and right. And so he provides the people with a source of abundant mercy, of guidance and structure. But ultimately, what is it communicating? There's still this sense of hope, right? There's still this sense of longing that, that, we, that we need to be pointed to something. As powerful as these elements are, Jesus is more powerful still. And these things, believe it or not, all point to Jesus. In Christ, the chains of our captivity are, are shattered or broken, and the light of his grace has shown the way to freedom. But how has he freed us? How is he near to us? How is he present with us? How does Jesus keep the light on? You see, Jesus, as we know, is the prophet, priest, and king that we all long for. He is the one that fulfills each and every role of the true prophet, of the true king, of the true priest. And he fulfills those things on a cross. This is how we know Jesus is present with us. Because he's the temple that was destroyed. And he rebuilds the temple. And he's the one that pursues us with love and grace. Jesus, as a prophet, pronounces to us our sin and shows us grace. As a priest, Jesus offered himself on that cross to be the liaison between ourselves and the Lord, the perfect sacrifice, the one that took our sins upon himself in our place and hung them on a 
cross. And as he rose again from the dead on that glorious Easter morning, he now ascended to the right hand of God and sits enthroned as king of all creation. You see, this very thing points to this Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our God, and our King, our prophet, priest, and King. It points to his presence with us. And even as Jesus ascended back into heaven, we know what he says to us, don't we? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. Always. To the end of the age. Alone? See what Zechariah saw. See the strength of the Lord in his presence. See how that presence then gives you his, his own self. How he loves you enough to take your sins. To be the sacrifice that we couldn't be. To forgive. And to be with us forever and ever. What is the strength of the Lord? The strength of the Lord is his presence. The strength of the Lord is the fact that he holds our hand. He carries us. We're not alone. We're not alone. But he goes before us. And it's not by our strength, not by our power, not by our might, but what? But by his spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have promised to be near to us. That you have promised to be our God. That you are our prophet, that you are our priest, and you are our king. And so Lord, may we now, as we approach this table, understand in real and in powerful ways that you are indeed present with us. And that you give us real things like a cup and a bread to show us your presence with us, to show us just how you love us. So go before us, we pray, that we may know your presence this week. In Jesus' name, amen.